For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, a winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Brucott to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See at the Game website and your host for the See at the Game podcast. I'll be joined in a moment by Brad Geiger and Neil Langland, and we'll take a look back at CU's 34-0 win over Arizona. We'll then turn our attention to giving you our tips for the upcoming road game against Cal. Now, for those of you that are new to the podcast, tips can be loosely broken down to our discussion of the talent, intangibles, preparation, and stats for each upcoming game. If you haven't already, please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you download your podcasts. And remember to check in at the See You at the Game website on Wednesday mornings when I post my in-depth written tips for each game. The Buffs posted a much-needed win over the Arizona Wildcats and did so in convincing fashion. Well, at least after the special teams and defensive touchdowns turned the tight game into a rout. The Cow Bears are only 1-5 on the season, with their only win coming against a team from the Big Sky Conference. And yet, the Las Vegas oddsmakers have listed the Bears as a 10-point favorite over the Buffs. Is Vegas right? Or will the Buffs post a second consecutive Pac-12 victory? Let's find out. Okay, and we are back. Joining me is Brad Geiger from Suburbia. How's Highlands Ranch doing this evening? It's a gorgeous fall day. We uh, had a little a little cool spell blow through, but it was beautiful here today. And it is uh, not a bad time to be in Colorado or be a Buff fan. Okay. And some, what, 15, 20 miles to the north, gazing down upon Larimer Square is Neil Langland. How's, how's Neil doing? Hey, good to be here tonight, guys. Good to see you. Downtown is fairly lively. Um, Larimer Square is lit. And, um, you know, it's a nice kind of lively but not raucous evening downtown. Very good. Okay, well, Neil, I'm going to start with you because I went to the game with Brad, so I know much of what he wants to say or has said or will say. So if I put you in a deprivation tank at 1.30 last Saturday and 
hauled you out at five o'clock and said that Colorado had won 34 to nothing, I think you'd say we'd probably be pretty happy with with that outcome. Would uh, that be a fair statement? I would be happy and surprised. And I would ask, what did you put in the water? Because (laughs) I'm not believing my ears. Yes. It was quite a surprise, actually. I I didn't know that they had it in them, frankly, at this point. And they played with spirit. And I have to have to commend them. They actually used those two weeks to good advantage, although it took almost three quarters of the game for it to show up. Up till then, it was a typical Buffs game, I think. Okay. I was really happy. I, I it was nice to win. Pleasantly surprised. So, Brad, first shutout since 2015, first shutout of a conference opponent since 2005, and the first game with two non-offensive touchdowns since 2013. So, other than the 6-0 score midway through the third quarter, the uh, Colorado uh, football team did pretty well on Saturday. Yes, and unquestionably played their best game of the year. Overall, all around, we're just a, a better football team than we have seen out of these guys all year. Remember, and you know, six nothing was disappointing. We should remember that Brandon Lewis, the much maligned Brandon Lewis, on the either the first or the second scoring drive, hit Dimitri Stanley in the hands in the end zone. And if we had gone in up ten nothing after that first half. I think we would have been somewhat less concerned starting the third quarter. But, no, it was from halfway through the third quarter on a uh, a confident team, a happy team, and a just a simply better team than we've seen for some time. Okay. Well, Neil, let's talk a little bit about the offensive side of the ball. Total yardage wasn't a complete domination, 365 yards to 280 for Arizona. But then if you look at the splits, and kudos to Dave Platty for pointing this out, or it's sad that it got, had to be pointed out, dating back to the fourth quarter of the Texas A&M game, CU had been outgained 1,975 yards to 818. So having been more than doubled up in offense of offensive production over the last three and a half games, to actually outgain somebody at 365 yards of total offense. Happy with the offensive production. Rush game didn't do as well. Offensive passing attack was a surprisingly successful. What did you get out of the offense on Saturday's game against Arizona? I got a couple things out of it, which was it seemed that the game plan had been eased up. We had talked about that last week and the preceding weeks about lighten up a little bit let's let's be a little more multiple let's try to throw the ball a little bit more and it seems like they actually did that that must have been one of the subtle changes that the coaching staff did was to imagine that expand the game plan i think the pass protection was better not sure if the blocking scheme was improved if line play just improved improved on its own or if it was just arizona being a mediocre opponent but Lewis actually had some time to set his feet and to launch uh, the ball. That was a surprising thing to see him actually pass in a rhythm and do it accurately. Very impressed by that. The running game, however, still struggled. 
and I can't imagine why. It seemed like they tried some of the different blocking schemes that we had talked about. They had some gap stuff and some power, and they were pulling guards and and H backs and and blocking, but their production still was not what it needs to be in order to be a balanced offensive team. So some improvement, but much room for more. Yeah, well, Brad, it did seem that the Buffs kind of went at a little bit bass backwards. that Arizona was the number five pass defense in the country and was in the 120s in rush defense. And yet Colorado had its best passing game of the season and still struggled to run the ball. So are we excited about the growth of the Colorado offense or are we just attributing this to a porous Arizona defense? Oh, I think you can say both. I mean, nothing we say here should take away from the fact that Arizona's dismal. They're not a good football team. That said, there were moments in the passing game that were simply right, where Lewis, the first long completion, that was a tight window where he threw it up and let his receiver in single coverage win the competition. The long pass to Clayton. Lewis avoided pressure. Clayton made the right decision, went long. And Lewis on the run hit him. We have talked about that that Lewis looks scared in the pocket, that he will double clutch on throws. And we saw some of that in the first half. But we also saw times where he went out, read, and threw. And then in the second half, we saw more of that. So there is does appear to be some improvement in confidence, some improvement in thought. Was it a great game plan? Probably not. And the fact that you cannot get fourth and one and you're doing it by trying to run to a deep set eye, concerning. Okay, the fact that we have 43 tight ends on the roster and none of them catch passes is concerning. I don't think Chevrini stepped up in the top 10, top 20, top 50 offensive coordinators in the NCAA. I we sit next to a guy who has very strong opinions about whether Darren Chevarini should be calling plays next week, let alone next year. And there are legitimate concerns there, but the offense was better. Okay. Uh, well, first, just a, a quick correction that it was Alex Fontenot. Excuse me. Ashad Clayton actually is out injured and might be out for a couple of weeks, according to the press conference that Carl Durrell had on Monday. Neil, Brendan Lewis had 475 yards passing in five games, had 248 yards passing and two touchdowns, both career highs for, well, he's a freshman, but his first 200-yard passing game. Are you thinking that Brendan Lewis has turned the corner, or are you making note of the fact that until it was 20 to nothing thanks to a special teams t- touchdown and a defensive touchdown. The passing game really didn't take off necessarily. There were some, as Brad mentioned, a couple of completions, the Brendan Rice jump ball to start the game, Dimitri Stanley touchdown that wasn't caught, the Alex Fontenot scramble pass. There was some success there, but overall the, the, the offense didn't score a touchdown until it was already a route and it was already 20 to nothing and Arizona kind of folded up its tent. So are we happy with the progression of Brendan Lewis, or are you of the 
message boards wondering why Drew Carter didn't get to play more in the fourth quarter so we can see what he can do. I have to come down on the side of Lewis having a good day, being in a groove and letting him stay there and let him know how that feels. Yeah. And I think part of what we saw from him was progress. I think part of it, too, was a game plan fitting his capabilities. They avoided throwing the ball over the middle and making complicated reads. Instead, threw it outside the numbers where it was probably an easier read and throw for the for a young quarterback. So they were designing plays that he could do so that we know now that he has some capability. What we haven't seen is him going through complex reads and successions in order to solve a difficult defense. I think as long as they stay simple, uh, Lewis will continue to progress. And I was impressed with his poise on the scramble that Brad mentioned. He kept his eyes downfield, was able to find the open guy. Those are all good things that you have to commend the kid for. I think he improved a lot. Okay. Well, the offense will work in progress, but you certainly have to give hats off to the defense. As we were talking about first shutout since 2015, and that was against Nichols State. And you have to go back to 2005 to find a, a shutout against a conference opponent. Shout out to Trevor Woods, the Pac-12 Special Teams Player of the Week for blocking the punt and scoop and score. First CU Pac-12 player of the week in any regard. So it's good to get somebody on the board for the University of Colorado. A shutout is a shutout is a shutout. Arizona hadn't been shut out by anybody as bad as Arizona's been since 2012. So it's not a little thing. Brad, do you want to talk about the goal line stand in the second quarter? Or do you want to rave about your prediction that Carson Wells was going to become the hero that we all hoped that he would become as a, a leader of the defense. Well, we can, of course, talk about both. Um, as, <laughs> as, much as, the, as much as the punt block was the turning point for winning the game, if that goal line stand was as strong as you're going to see, first and goal, no yardage, second and goal, pushed them back, third and goal, pushed them back, fourth and goal, a play that had zero chance of ever succeeding in part because guess who uh, Nate Nate read the play. <laughs> <laughs> Call on me. Who Call on me. Play for the defense. Yes. <laughs> but overall, with the exception of, was it four or five 15 yard penalties? The defense was able to make it work. Hold it at times. Yes. Carson Wells finally had the game. I predicted, and it's not just that he dropped into coverage stepped in front of a receiver and took an interception 50 yards, although that matters. It's that he had plays behind the line of scrimmage. He All day, it really felt like our defense understood the Arizona offense a little bit better than the Arizona quarterback did. The defense felt energized, excited, and well-prepared. And players that we expected to play well played even better, and players that had not generally played well played their best game of the season. Yeah. Well, Neil, the uh, the defense had seven tackles for loss in the first half and hadn't had more than six tackles for loss in a game in the first five games of the season, ended up with nine tackles for loss for the game. So 
it was kind of fun watching the uh, opposition have a second and 12, a good chunk of the first half. The offense for Arizona, again, is struggling, playing with the quarterback that was not would not have played had the previous quarterback who came in was the third starter for Arizona, gotten injured in the UCLA game the previous weekend. But, you know, again, a win is a win is a win. I was touting Stanley Berryhill as the next Drake London, and he was targeted 13 times during the game. So he certainly was the focus of the Arizona attack, but only ended up with eight catches for a grand total of 48 yards. So six yards of reception. And he also had a couple of carries for nine yards. So the one player that we would hope that the Colorado defense would focus on, the Colorado defense focused on and pretty much shut him down and kept him from becoming a factor in the game. So are you anything but content in the University of Colorado posting a shutout, even against an Arizona offense that by any definition is struggling? Well, the defensive play, I think Brad's right. They had a good scheme and a good plan. And I think part of the reason for that is the return of Mustafa Johnson to complete form. And that in my theory, it allowed CU to go back to their three, four set where Carson Wells plays behind the line of scrimmage and can rush the passer as he did well, respond on a run or cover zone uh, against the pass. He had a terrific game and, and it's that scheme that allowed him the freedom to use all of his skills. I think uh, second that that scheme surprised Arizona in the first half and it took them a while to adjust to it. And that was a good coaching move, I think. Third, part of the plan that Brad mentioned was to have Christian Gonzalez all over Barry Hill, followed him wherever he went and just shut him down. He may have had some catches, but never had any significant yards after catch. That's good scheme. That's good plan. The defensive coaches deserve credit for all of that. But most importantly, I think those kids were just really playing hard. They really wanted to win. And the coaches did a nice job of managing the psychological aspects of it. Okay. Well, let me ask you both just real quickly before we go on to Cal and our tips for the upcoming game. Is the Colorado defense spread good enough to keep Colorado competitive in the second half of the 2021 season? Can the defense win games? For the University of Colorado, some of them. Well, that's um, that's some is more than we thought a week ago. True, I think they can be the difference against Cal next week. Um, I think they can arguably be the difference against Oregon State, even Washington. I think they can keep us in it. Obviously, worried about Oregon and Utah's a very, very good football team. Yeah. Um, so. Two weeks ago, I would have told you there was zero chance this team could get six wins. Now I will tell you there's a 10% chance, and that's mostly because defense gives us that. Okay. Neil, same question. Does the the play of the Colorado defense give you hope that the Buffs can, with the exception of maybe Oregon and Utah, at least be competitive in the second half of the 2021 season? I think Brad's absolutely right on this, that uh, if the Buffs continue playing this scheme, 
with that sort of aggressive and competent planning, I I think that they can hold some of those teams to 12, 15 points uh, if they play well. And if they get a little help from the offense by not giving uh, the defense a short field to defend. If they have, if they start the defense, our defense starts with reasonable field position. I think they'll be able to, if not stop drives to limit them to field goals in most instances. And with that, if the offense can be anywhere near competent, it should, the defense should provide enough of a shutdown that the offense can actually score some points. Okay. Well, let's move on to the next opponent and the second half of the season. Uh, up Saturday is the University of California, Berkeley, one and five in the 2021 season, with the only win coming over Big Sky Conference power Sacramento State. Tough losses in a number of games that it's one possession game in four of those losses. They lost to Oregon in their last game, 24 to 17, actually held a 17 to 10 lead in Eugene against the Ducks. Gave up two quick touchdowns, drove down in the final minute of play, had more than half a dozen chances inside the 10-yard line, couldn't score in fourth and goal in the final minute, ultimately losing 24 to 17. But as they say, your record is what these what it says you are. And Cal is one in five, 0 and three in Pac-12 play. And yet Vegas does not seem to think that Cal is a one in five team, or at least is better than its record because it is installed Cal as a 10 point favorite against the Buffs Saturday afternoon, 1.30 Pac-12 networks. We'll talk about the, the players here, but just the first initial reaction, Neil, to a 10 point spread against a team that is having trouble scoring 10 points. I think Vegas is assigning most of the credit for CU's win to the poor play of Arizona. I don't think that the bookies respect either CU's defense and they especially do not respect CU's offense. I think the over-under there is 42, which sort of indicates a pretty low-scoring game. If they're right, and they may be, I think it could be a difficult game for CU, but I, I still think that the defense has a chance to keep them in the game, but the whole thing is going to come down to to use an offensive game plan. I don't want to get too near a prediction, so I'll put it down. <laughs> well, thank you for that. How about uh, you, Brad? Were you surprised that it was a, I mean, the University of Colorado going up against the fifth-ranked team in the country, Texas A&M, was a 17-point underdog. Colorado is a 10-point underdog to a 1-5 in five team. Were you surprised by the spread? just as a, a general big picture type thing. Yeah, I thought I thought it was too big. I expected six or seven. Yeah. And if you look at the scores, Cal has played everybody tougher than than we have. Okay. But I, I think, you know, I, I don't expect Vegas is expecting to rake in millions on the Cal Colorado game to begin with. But uh it feels big. I'll be interested to see how the number moves. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about the talent 
on the bear sideline. And maybe you guys can tell me if I'm right on this, but it seems like, you know, they have a fifth year senior quarterback, Chase Garbers, four year starter. To see if this analogy works for you. It seems like Chase Garbers has a little bit of a Steven Montez problem that I think that there would be progression and they're just not seeing it that he, he does have good numbers. I mean, he's thrown for almost 1500 yards, nine touchdowns, five interceptions, but doesn't seem to be able to win the game. And that was kind of what we had with Steven Montez. He was winning the, the stat sheet. He was throwing for a bunch of yards, setting a bunch of Colorado records, but the one loss column was not on his side of the ledger. So, you know, I think maybe Las Vegas or maybe just people in general are thinking, okay, we've got a fifth-year senior against a freshman quarterback. You're always going to go with the fifth-year senior. Wouldn't you say that that would be a normal perspective to take, Neil? Absolutely. And I think that's part of the reason that Vegas set it at 10. In some ways, I'm surprised it's not a little higher. But the quarterback issue is going to be determinative in many ways of the outcome of the game. If Cal can put any pressure at all on Lewis, I think it's going to be a long day, and that's probably going to be their game plan. So I was not, I was surprised somewhat, but in retrospect, I think probably the spread could, could go a little higher as we go through the week. Be interesting to see. Okay. Well, we got one vote for a smaller spread and one vote for a higher spread. Brad, let me read you from Pro Football Network. So this is looking at Chase Garbers before the season as far as his draftability, as far as what they're looking at as scouts. Garbers' mental process can erode at times under pressure. Although he flashes good navigation and escapability, his eyes drop quickly when faced with pressure. The Cal quarterback can also get shell-shocked by consecutive pressures and fade backward on subsequent reps. He doesn't always keep his eyes downfield when scrambling out of the pocket because he's not an elite athlete. Those physical traits can't be relied on consistently. Now, this is a quarterback that's been sacked 13 times. Is this another Carson Wells moment? Is this uh, the game plan for the University of Colorado to uh, get after Chase Garbers just as uh, Cal wants to get after Brendan Lewis? Well, undoubtedly. And they're, you know, yes, Chase Garber is throwing, is completing 62% of his passes for a seven yard average. That is not a man. I mean, yes, he has one long pass. He's also only got nine touchdowns and five interceptions. Now that's all more than Brendan Lewis, but for a fifth year senior, those are bad numbers. And they are reflected in that scouting report by the fact that he has heavy feet. Um, I think the Montez comparison is very clear and that he, he will feel pressure before most quarterbacks will feel pressure. The key about Garbers is you don't have to sack it. You have to make him move because by the second or third step, he's already thinking about how far he's going to get on the run. Not if he's going to be able to go deep, not if he's going to be able to throw deep. So if you can get pressure relatively soon, then it's all a matter of keeping the ball in front of him. So I suspect CU will try to keep everything in front of them and see what they can do with pressure. And if that works, they don't, they don't have 
any athletes on offense that compare to what we faced at USC, for example. Right. Well, Neil, they don't have a Drake London, but very few teams this side of the SEC have a Drake London. But they do have three receivers. So it's not a favorite receiver. It has three favorite receivers. Trevon Clark, 346 yards receiving. Jeremiah Hunter, 316 yards receiving. And Keikoa, I hope that's right, Keikoa or Kikoa, Crawford, 306 yards. So they have three wide receivers with over 300 yards receiving. Colorado doesn't have a single wide receiver with 200 yards. So obviously Cal is much better at throwing the ball. Are you concerned about CU's secondary? Nigel Bethel went out. One of the defensive backs, he won't be available for some time. Any concern about Cal being successful in the passing game with uh, a lot of receivers to throw to and a quarterback that apparently knows how to throw the ball? Well, until you mentioned Bethel, I had a plan. But (laughs) my sense is they come out in 3-4 and replace one of the linebackers with another corner. So they'll play with three corners, play man, and come up with uh, with blitzes and stunts to try to get to Garber and try to flush him. I think that will probably be the best way to shut down their passing offense. Probably keep one safety deep, but still try to apply pressure and play man behind it. So it is to maximize the number of pass rushers. Okay. And I think, Brad, to what you were talking about, the bend, bend but don't break certainly seems to be the methodology here. Cal hasn't had a 100-yard rusher. Colorado hasn't had a 100-yard rusher, but their running game is not their forte. And while they're averaging over 400 yards in offense, which is 59th in the country, they're not scoring. They're 104th in scoring offense, which belies the success. Having 400 yards per game in offense, you think you'd be more scoring more than 23 points a game. So that's CU strategy is play loose between the 20s and then force field goals. Is that the uh, the defensive game plan that you're referring to? Well, they're going to make them make eight, 10 play drives. If you can keep Cal from getting deep and it's not their strength, they are really inclined to play to drive killers. Dumb penalties, poor incompletions, that kind of thing. So, yeah, un- unquestionably, the idea will be, can you, Chase Garbers, can you do it consistency? And sometimes can you do it under pressure? Okay. So on the other side of the ball, Neil, this is a defense. Now, last week we were playing against the Arizona Wildcats, which was at least by the numbers, good against pass, lousy against the run. So naturally, Colorado throws the ball. 248 yards passing and only 117 yards rushing. Now you're going up against a team that is better against the run, 50th against the rush, 111th in pass defense. So since Colorado offensive schemes are contrarian, does that mean that Colorado is now going to run the ball since we're going up against a good rush defense? Or Are we going to try and continue to have success in the passing game now that we know how to throw the ball past four yards beyond the line of scrimmage? Oh, what a horrible question. Um, (laughs) I don't know how to answer that, Stuart. 
I would say that CU needs to work on its short and um, intermediate passing game outside the numbers, swing passes, screens, wide receiver screens, try to attack them that way to try to loosen them up. And if they're having some success, then it's going to be a passing day. But if not, then they're going to have to fall back against that that run defense. And I'm afraid if we can't pass the ball, then it's, we're going to be one dimensional and not score any points. So I think we have to have to throw the ball long story short. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed. So just again, getting a little bit wider lens here, Brad, we're going against a, a Cal team and a home crowd that is last in the PAC 12 in terms of capacity. They're averaging only about 50% capacity at their game. So not necessarily an intimidating crowd. And even though they played well against Oregon a week ago, Friday doesn't necessarily instill a bunch of extra people in the stands for Saturday. Colorado, of course, struggling in many respects, struggles on the road as well. Cal did have an extra day to prepare. They played on a Friday night uh, against Oregon, their last game. Colorado is going to be on the road. Any outside factors, obviously Carl Durrell's not going anywhere at two and four, but Justin Wilcox is not making people happy at one and five. Anything outside of the field itself that you think might have an influence on this game? I think we'll be playing in front of a very sparse crowd. It looks like it's going to be one of those cold, wet, windy, yucky days in the in the Bay Area. And so I think that will help. I think it will be much less intimidating than playing in front of a true home, uh, away crowd. It's a little easier to travel west than it is east. These are not teams that are playing for a heck of a lot. I mean, let's be honest about it. And Cal has suffered. You know, is it better to have suffered bad losses and then get a win? Or is it better to have suffered a bunch of close losses? I think coming off a win matters. I don't know what Cal's optimistic about, and I don't know what they're confident in because they haven't shown anything that really says that they can that they can actually pull this off. So I, if there is such a thing as momentum from game to game, I think CU has some of that advantage. Okay. Well, Neil, they, which way do you see that swinging that Cal has been in a lot of fourth quarter games, Colorado has not? Would Cal have an advantage in a close game going into the fourth quarter, having been there, done that, not being successful at it, but at least participating in those types of games? Or would they say, okay, here we go again. We're a one in five team. We're going to find a way to lose this game. So how do you see the mental state of these two teams coming into Saturday's contest? I'm going to go out on a limb. And the foundation of that is that Oregon is overrated. They're not the team that we saw play against Ohio State. I think they're overrated. They just have not, either they have not played well or the opposition has really been well prepared for them. So I think if we're trying to benchmark how Cal will perform based on their, in part, on their contest with Oregon, uh, I think that will give us false confidence in their ability. I think they're not as good as they played against Oregon. And I think CU has a chance and coming off a win and having momentum probably will overcome 
what experience that Cal has in close games. So I'm going to go to your question, advantage CU on the psychological edge. Okay. Well, Brad, it's prediction time. We're going strictly with Vegas. As Neil mentioned, the over-under is very low. It's a 10-point spread. So Vegas would say something along the lines of 24-14 Cal. How do you see the game in Berkeley playing out this Saturday? I think it's going to be, I fear, grueling and ugly. Two evenly matched, not particularly good teams in what may be not great weather, grinding it out. And again, and the winner probably being the one that comes up with one or two explosion plays that surprise you. I'd take the under. And <laughs> I will go see you 2017. Okay. Neil, how do you see the University of Colorado? Both teams probably looking at their calendars and saying, just like we were talking last week with Arizona, that this might be the last best chance at a victory for these teams in the second half of the season. So who's going to be, we already know who the 12th team is in the Pac-12. Is this a battle for number 10 and number 11 in the Pac-12? One of these teams might rise above that station, but right now we're talking about the two not Arizona worst teams in the Pac-12. What would be your prediction for the outcome come Saturday? Uh, I'm out on a limb here again. I think Brad's right about the under. But I'll say that CU's defense continues to play well, holds Cal to 13 while scoring 23 themselves. So that adds up to 36. So we're under and still give CU some cushion. So I'm going to turn the point spread around and go with CU. Okay, so two strong votes for the University of Colorado. Of course, if you're new to the podcast, my written tips, my uh, preview comes out of the seeyouatthegame.com website on Wednesday mornings. So that's going to do it for this episode. Neil, I'm going to give you the chance first, since your positivity last week wasn't very positive. Give us some words of wisdom to launch us into the upcoming week. I think CU had a big psychological letdown after Texas A&M, and it's taken them a time to heal and to regain some balance. I think the second half, particularly the fourth quarter, allowed them some of that. I think the coaches have seen that opening up the offense can pay dividends, and I hope they continue to do that and expand it. And for that reason, I, I think that it's looking up for CU, not just against Cal, but um, as a program, that they're they're making some improvements. So look for that. Look to see if CU plays better. And even if they lose, are they making progress? Those are the, the things I would I would look for on Saturday. Okay. Brad, we had a, a fun Saturday basking in the the sun in Folsom Field, nice to have a win. I don't know why anybody would leave when you're ahead by 30 points, but people tended, you know, left a little early. But for the most part, I mean, the student section was there when the game was still very much in doubt. The, the crowd was there in the third quarter. Any pearls of wisdom you'd like to uh, to share with us before we, we call it a day? I think 
that I will credit the staff for whatever changes and however you want to qualify them. This team got better during the bye week. And I think that was more than just a one game better. I think that they improved the team. And I think that hopefully we can carry that on. And at least our coach didn't get fired for refusing to get vaccinated. (laughs) Okay. Well, cautious optimism going forward. And at least we were one of 10 schools at this point in the Pac-12 that still has their coach from the beginning of the season. So thank you, gentlemen. And we will do it again next Monday night. Thanks for listening. If you aren't already familiar with the Sue at the Game website, Game Week goes like this. On Tuesday mornings, the weekly podcast is posted. On Wednesdays, my written preview, my written tips are posted. On Fridays, there are the Friday Fast Facts. On Saturday, the game story, including game notes and locker room quotes, goes up a few hours after the final gun, with my essay for the game being posted on Sunday mornings. And of course, throughout the week, the Colorado Daily and Pac-12 Notes banners are updated several times each and every day. As a Buff fan, you are familiar with the highs and the lows of belonging to the Buff Nation. I sincerely appreciate you joining the See You at the Game family for the ride. Here's to a few more highs the rest of the season. Until next time, be well. Stay safe and go Buffs. Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.